da 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 You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. Because the whole world got crazy. Are you seriously? It's showtime. So we promised that it would happen, but we never promised that it would be in the window of relevancy. Hi, <laughs> Kent Garrison here on behalf of Brian Gill and Richard Barden. Welcome to the Mad About Movies podcast. And this week, we got a little rants and raves, and we're talking Stranger Things. Um, mm. This is something that had to happen soon because it would have never happened if we didn't do it in these couple of weeks. Um, I'm thinking about it a lot. I've rewatched it twice. Um, I know you've seen it, Brian. Richard refuses to see it just out of spite because uh, <laughs> it's kind of who he is. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited. I don't like yeah. things that market themselves around heart. The long standing. <laughs> Any kind of joy. Yeah. I don't like, like heart or, right. yeah, camaraderie, family. Big Steve McQueen fan. <laughs> Both yeah. of them. Right. But it um, it's going to be fun to talk about something that's not a movie for once because I feel like we haven't talked anything other than yeah. pretty mediocre to bad movies for the past nine months. So it's been a while since we have ranted or raved. It has been far too long, far too long. I got a lot of ranting and raving to do tonight, but it's, uh, it's always good to talk TV because we got to prep ourselves for the (laughs) mad about movies, annual rants and raves TV pilots episode, which is coming up here in the next. Oh man. When is first, first pilot was tonight guys. Oh really? Started. Yeah. I just said my Atlantis. Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Donald Glover. Yeah. Oh, Atlanta oh, would have been an awesome show. <laughs> Surely also there's Donald a show Glover. that is called Atlantis at some point in the history of TV. There's, was it Stargate there's no way Atlantis that, or something? Stargate Atlantis exists. Surely there's another show at some point that has been called. Yes. Maybe that's Please a video game. Let's see. Uh, Stargate know. Atlantis. And then Atlantis in 2013 did 25 episodes. That was a show in 2013? Yeah, I think it's wow. probably British. Mark Addy is the lead. That's the oh, guy okay. who plays uh, Robert Baratheon yeah. on uh, yeah. GOT. Far From Home, Jason washes up on the shores of the ancient and mysterious city of Atlantis. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny that that had never been a real thing, but Atlantis needs to happen. But where were we? Stranger Things. Um, I'm not excited about the TV pilots, but I'm excited about this. Can we just do Netflix original series instead? <laughs> like rants and raves, That's... Netflix original series, and we could just talk and about HBO, occasional yeah. HBO stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like seriously. seventy of them headed our way soon. I so. feel like, and we're gonna talk and about stuff this. on Freeform, obviously. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Live for Freeform. We're gonna talk about this in more in depth, but I just feel like in a way that network TV is like almost a lost cause. I mean, unless you're, unless you're the next Seinfeld or you're, you're Steve Harvey and you're just ratings gold. Like I just don't see how you can launch a a a significant show that has any kind of depth to it on network television anymore. I mean, I think like, has that been proven wrong? You know, would any of this, would the Americans last more than two seasons on ABC? No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, it's it seems hard. like they it's, 
their choices You're are bad. Playing against not only worse. Yeah. They're not choices are not only worse in talent and what they think is good, but what they even throw out there never sticks. Um, yeah, they're they're hamstrung by they have to reach a much broader audience than whatever Netflix or FX or HBO for sure. I don't know if it's about reaching a broader audience more than it is appealing to their exact fans. Like CBS, every CBS show is a CBS show. And so is Fox, you know, it's like they have to, they have to fit within that boundary, but still they don't take any risks in everything is so watered down. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. from comedy no, to drama, it's all watered down. I don't know why it has to be so watered down. I think you can continue to to expect to go to network TV for comedies. Um, Netflix is creeping in on it, and obviously HBO has a couple of great ones. But I still think overall the sitcom works best on network on network TV as as a just a general genre. But the shows that we are going to want to watch as far as hour long dramas and, and serialized stuff. Um, yeah, I think for us, at least for our generation, the, the days of, of finding something exciting on network TV, uh, are if not gone, then, then, you know, very, very slim pickings. Like I'm, ex- I'm a little bit excited about the, the Kiefer Sutherland show that designated survivor. That looks interesting. Oh, right. If for no other reason than you I love Kiefer I enjoy so much. Kiefer Sutherland, yeah, <laughs> that looks okay. okay to me. You know, no, it does actually look um, fine. Looks fine. But that's probably the only drama that that's headed our way this this uh, season on a network that I'm that I'm not kind of dreading it at the very least. You know, uh, yeah, I I wonder now though. I mean, it's really established itself Netflix and you know, kind of the streaming in general. Um, of and we'll get into this. You guys will get into this more later, I'm sure. But like, it's the place for really prestige dramas. But I wonder where they're going to start as Netflix becomes easier and easier to access um, for for people that are older, um, built into their TV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when when they'll actually start making a play for the Law and Orders and the CSIs of the world, like when they're mm-hmm. going to do their version yeah. of just a one hour procedural in and out, no continuing storyline. Right, because if they start doing that, that will make the networks nervous. Yeah, networks are in trouble at that point because yeah. they can do it better. Yeah. yeah. So, that being said, I'm super into a lot of Netflix stuff right now. Um, I haven't paid mm-hmm. much attention to network TV. Uh, I think one of the only shows I watch anymore that's on network TV is Last Man on Earth. Maybe I watch that when it's on. Watch Modern Family still. I'm still. I don't know why. Same. I mean, it's good, but I, I like. I, I will. I just stay with that. Yeah, certainly past its prime, but I'm there I too. Watch Shark yeah. Tank. Like that's it. I don't. I don't. Yeah, but I only ever watch it on CNBC. <laughs> um, like reruns. I don't think I've ever seen a new Shark Tank. I don't know why. Just isn't it on like Friday nights or something? Friday yeah, nights at is. like eight or seven o'clock. Yeah, I. I'll, I will say Hulu is a great investment. And the, the Hulu, as Larry King the, called the it. Hulu. <laughs> My show's on the Hulu. It's a great investment if you want to binge television shows, but man, <laughs> it is awesome. Netflix has been killing it, and this is no exception. Um, this is this is really good, um, and I'm excited to talk about it a little bit later. But you know what we haven't done is in a while. Is, Here we go. Yeah, uh-huh. drum roll, please. Yeah. Come on, Brian, give me a beat. No, uh-huh. no, it's okay. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't even start it. Damn it, Nate. Damn it. <laughs> that, uh-huh. That's Cashmere yeah. from Led Zeppelin. It, nope. 
Sorry, I'm not familiar with that song or the band. I know Come With Me by Puff Daddy. Pretty sure that's that song. Featuring Jimmy Page. Uh, Again, not familiar, but I do know Puff right. Daddy. I think he was just Puff Daddy's house guitarist. By the way, I think it's time he's Puff Daddy again, because such a great name. Did he, you see? He is Puff Kent Daddy the, again, I think. Oh, I thought he was Diddy still. I think he's Puff Daddy, because they're doing the Bad Boy reunion tour know, like as we speak. Madison Square Garden, it's there. Like, he was either there over the weekend or it's there this week, and I would love to go. It's awesome. It's like my whole childhood of illegal contraband CDs. In my <laughs> Puff Daddy, Mace, Will Kim. It's going to be too live. Hey, speaking of that, guess what Bad Boys 3 is called? Bad Boys for Life. Bad Boys for Life. Yeah. A reference to P. Diddy's Bad Boys for Life music Man. video. Because if Martin Lawrence and Will Smith weren't washed up, well, let's reference right. a Pop Daddy song. <laughs> right. I already Remember pre-ordered the, the vinyl soundtrack. Yeah. It's bad. You can already hear the, see the trailer, you know, <laughs> with that song. Oh, can't wait. But come with me. Come with me. Uh, we need to do American Treasures, guys. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's we'll been get too ready, long. Because Pop Daddy's 50. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so great segue. <laughs> we haven't talked about these people in a long time. Um, they're some of the people that we like to honor with the esteemed title of American Treasure. So oftentimes, if you hear us mention their name in the future, we'll, we might preface it with American Treasure Tom Hanks or American Treasure Bill Murray. But um, these people define what is great about movies, what we love about them, what we love about culture, what we love about celebrity. And uh, these people have to have had at least 25 years in the business or been uh, the age of 50 years old for more than, I guess, a day. Uh, (laughs) Today could be their birthday. Today could be their 50th birthday. And they also have to have a sense of humor about themselves which is self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. You have to take yourself not so seriously. You have to show that you have a sense of humor, even in the worst of times, even at your own expense at times often. And also, you have to be an American citizen. Otherwise, you might fall into a separate wing, which we like to call the North American Treasures, or the European Treasures, which that wing is actually opening in 2017. I've heard construction <laughs> has started. The yeah, European Treasure yeah, wing is, is opening in 2017. Yeah. And we will do an inaugural class. Don't worry. Right. Yeah. So that being said, we each bring a nominee to the table. We vote best two out of three wins. Very simple. Brian, who is your nominee this week? I'm going to bring to you, since we're talking TV today, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the TV actor who also is in several movies as well. So he, he qualifies. That's good. Uh, I'm going to give some credit to a listener who who nominated this gentleman a couple of weeks ago. He's been on my list for a long time, but we've, I don't know, there's always been other people that I wanted to bring to the table that were more fitting or whatever uh, today. So I'm going to shout out uh, Bryce Morita, who uh, wrote in a couple of weeks ago and suggested a man who uh, I think we all love. This should be a pretty easy induction, I, I think. He was, he's got two or three credits to his name that uh, they're just iconic, fantastic. He's one of the funniest people who has ever graced our screen. He was tragically, uh, his life was cut short before he turned 50, but it's been like 20 years. So I feel like we're, we're good on that front. 
Uh, and I just, I feel like the American Treasures Hall of Fame is not complete uh, without American Treasure Phil Hartman. It's mm. a wow. good one. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons. Yeah, I've heard of those, I, I mean, both just, those just those two things right there. He's, his appearances on those shows are mm. just otherworldly. Troy um, McClure. <laughs> Troy McClure is great. He's got a lot of other funny bits in his past. Um, I don't think anything quite comes close to touching Simpsons or or, or his work on Saturday Night Live. He news radio <sighs> Richard, had some good parts. News radio was was fine. News radio was was excellent. Um, Richard, you're you're the Saturday Night Live uh, aficionado right. on the state on the show. Um, talk about because if you don't mind, talk about what he was for that show and what he meant for that you know, nine year run or whatever sure. that he was, he was well, on it. It's twofold. Um, I think one, he uh, for his cast is, was the most alpha and most revered. And that, that means more and less depending on the era, but you have to think, you know, he was in an era with, with Dana Carvey and, you know, with, with Dennis Miller, with Kevin Nealon, with, um, you know, Mike Myers, and then later on with Farley and Sandler and Spade and, and that crew, Jan Hooks, um, the brilliantly talented Melanie Hutzel, who we all know has gone on the great things. Um, now I'm just uh, American treasure, Rob Schneider. No, but he was with a really strong, what a lot of people consider, um, you know, kind of the second Renaissance of that show, at least during the Warren years, if you don't count the Eddie Murphy stuff. And, uh, was the cleanup hitter in that lineup and kind of team captain. So that's one thing he did. And the second thing he did was really establish going forward that role on the show of it's kind of what they all wanted Chevy to be, but Chevy really wanted to be goofy. His, his humor was goofy, but it was kind of like the leading man of SNL, which Farrell went on to do, um, which I think Sudeikis did quite a bit mm-hmm. of, that kind of um, not necessarily always a straight man, but a little more grounded performer. I um, mean, he did wild, you know, he did like unfrozen caveman lawyer and stuff like that. That was certainly silly, but like definitely brought spring some weight to the show in terms of being great. And I think among people who do that, um, who are, who are sketch comedians and sketch comedy writers, like you will not find a more revered person than him. And that's mm. before he died. I mean, it's not it's right. not a rose colored glasses of he died tragically. Oh my god, he was so great! It was in the moment uh, uh, a really revered person on that show and an important person in that history. And probably, I know Grantland a few years ago did like the the final four, and it was subjective because it was like fan vote or something. But if you were to really do it with like scholars of Saturday Night Live, you know, twenty five people. A Rolling Stone did one that was controversial. Yeah. I think that's what you're thinking. Yeah, that about. one was terrible because they put right. Yeah. They put norm last but but grantland did like an actual final four tournament where people could vote but if you oh. did that um of cast members he would certainly be elite eight i he mm-hmm. might be four yeah and uh and and i think for everything i i know and i could be wrong i i think was someone who really was loved personally and was a really yes. nice person um as well and kind of yeah. a very grounded normal person yeah, if you read the the James Andrew Miller book uh, about Saturday Night Live, it's there is no end to the uh, the nice things that people have to say about Phil, both as a performer and as a person. 
and I think, I mean, just what you said there, he, he kind of bridged the gap between two, I don't know how iconic, where those classes of Saturday Night Live care, or, uh, performers w- would rank, but I think he was kind of the driving force for, for two or maybe three classes, and that's, that's impressive. That's something right. that... I don't. I, I don't know that anyone else has has done to that extent. So anyway, no, uh, closest would be just. It's a lot of it's just luck. Like when you get on the show, sure, sure, sure. But the closest that would have multiple eras like that would be maybe like Polar, because mm-hmm. she was kind of in there on the tail end of like the Faye wig. I mean, pardon me, the Faye Farrell Fallon group, and then got in with the Sudeikis Hater Sandberg Seth Meyers group. Sure. Um, but yeah, hater, I mean, pardon me. Hartman is kind of known, right. Is that Dana Carvey, late eighties, John Lovitz, that cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he was also with the, the young guys in the early nineties too. And, and was kind of the, you know, he always played the dad and the sketches and stuff like that, but it was great. Yeah. Fantastic. So anyway, that's my guy as my vote and, to already. Kent, your yeah. vote is obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he should have been in already. He should have been the, yeah. in the inaugural yeah. class. In my yeah. <laughs> And yes, talk about a Simpsons work, Ryan. I mean, both of you know. I mean, one of the great yes. kind of voice actors and hysterical, hysterical on that show. Absolutely, and this is very coincidental, but uh, weird at the same time. I'm bringing my nominee to the table. He is somebody who has literally shaped the face of comedy uh, for the past over thirty years, forty years, uh, actually, oh, just over forty. Um, and he's somebody who has definitely has a sense of humor about himself, who's embraced his role uh, in later years and has definitely taken on a new role. I'm going to bring forward to the table tonight, American treasure, Lauren Michaels. Yeah. He'd yeah. be a North American treasure, but yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. He controls the world right now. I think he's more power, powerful than Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Might have more influence on yeah. his what he can control than Obama. What is he about two late control. night shows and SNL? So three. I mean, he produces like all of NBC's comedy. Yeah, one of the most interesting people to read or talk or think about is Lauren Michaels because he he really better than anyone ever. Well, that's not true. Him and Johnny Carson have probably walked the comedian and and writer and kind of like business person. Mm-hmm. Uh, line inc- immaculately well, I mean, and there's probably some directors too, uh, Mel Brooks and people like that. But Lauren, like he seems like, you know, he's always in a suit and he has a glass of red wine and he's at a nice restaurant and it seems like he sells like really high end lighting systems, but yeah. he sells jokes. You know, it's like he's really brilliant at the business of comedy and he's really f- the most underrated thing about him is Lauren Michaels is hysterically funny and was a great comedy writer for. For years, my favorite Warren Michaels bit, I can't remember what the sketch was, but it was one of these ones where they, it was kind of like Laser Cats back in the day, um, where they barge into his office and ask him something, and his head's thrown back, he's sitting in his chair, his head's thrown back, he's got this like strainer over his mouth, and he's like, oh, sorry, I was just huffing ether. Um, <laughs> and like, I don't know, the way he delivers that line is hysterically <laughs> funny. Uh yeah, one of the best. And yeah. his name dropping, as as known by Bill Hader, is is some of the funniest, Incredible. one of the best bits going in, in the world right now. I think it is. Yeah, it is. He Hader nails it every time. <laughs> he might do the best, Lauren. He might be the best. You know, his name is Jerry. Yeah. 
Yeah, his his Me and his... Paul and Bono <laughs> and uh, we're hanging out and he just drops him like this is total normal. Yeah, he, he dropped. He calls everybody by their first name. Yeah, I know. even if it's like a famous name. Yeah, <laughs> the, I read the Rolling Stone interview with Paul McCartney from last month, and he warned Michael's Lord. Yeah, he said him and Lauren. It's like, well, you know, Lauren's my best friend. And yeah. I was like, whoa, he just dropped the Lauren thing. He did the Lauren to Lauren. That's like so meta. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I love Lauren, and he's yeah. so interesting. Mark Marin did a two-hour podcast with him. He went one day and did an hour, and then Lauren invited him back uh, the next day and said, hey, we didn't get to talk about a lot of stuff. Come back, and we'll do it again. So he went back. But this was as SNL was in had a normal week. So he, uh, Mark Marin was kind of experiencing the week of prepping the show, but also because Mark Marin tried out for SNL mm. and didn't get it. And Lauren used a great analogy. Um he said uh, the the Blazers didn't draft Jordan because they didn't need a power forward. Like that's yeah, that's it. Like that's such a great like you need to know your role and yeah. and like there was no role for Mark Marin at that time. It didn't mean he wasn't great at what he did, but there was no slot for him on the team. Uh, I just thought that was a great way to mm-hmm. and uh, to look at what he does. You know, um, picking talent and trying to find a niche for every type of comedian. And it, well, it's it's trailed off a little in later years, in my opinion, on his the talent search. I mean, they had they they need to find some male leaders. I mean, they really do. I mean, Kate McKinnon's carrying the show right now. Uh, you know, uh, Keenan's all they have left. Uh, everybody's leaving. Pete Davidson's like the most established person you have besides Keenan. That's not good. Um, yeah. You need you need people. Get some to, writers, man. Get some writers. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. They need some star power. They really do. Um, but I love Lauren nonetheless, and uh, totally. I never want him to stop. So that's my nominee. He gets my vote. Brian, any thoughts on him? No, I could. Ass- I would have assumed that uh, Lauren was already in. So this is a this is a no brainer. That's an easy vote for me. Yes. Seth Myers was talking about when he was on the Marin show. He said when he got the when Lauren said how he offered him the job, as he said, "Well, I mean, we, you can come to New York, and we'll see how you look in wigs." Right. <laughs> like that's. That's how he set a job offer. Okay, sure. So uh, when I start hiring people for different companies, that's how I'm going to. Uh, that's going to be my my closer. But yeah. don't think it's like a weird thing of mine. But yes, absolutely for sure. We've tried to hire four interns in the past, and you've done that bit with all of them, and it hasn't worked out. They just leave. They don't yeah. come back to work. It's 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 sad. Been rough. Yeah. What is your uh, nominee going to be, Richard? All right. So I'm going to give a quick quick uh, disclaimer on mine. It's a political thing, which is outside the realm for us. But it's nothing to do with their politics. I don't even care about that at all. Someone's been through a lot and might be out of our lives soon and or will be out of our lives soon. And that's going to be a bummer just day to day for comedy's sake. I'm going to go because no one says America to me more than this. American treasure, Joe Biden. Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. So hardcore in on this. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. It's, I sincerely, I can't say more. It's not a political choice at all. Uh, but it is just personality wise. Always, always like will show up on Parks and Rec. G- great. One of the great all time gif personalities ever of him putting sunglasses on in a million different ways. <laughs> um, and then he played on at the correspondence dinner where Obama was talking to him and he was polishing like 13 pairs of sunglasses and going, what do you think of these? <laughs> and he took the train every day, right? 
That's what always pisses people off. Took the train every day to the Senate. So I'm going to go. I like to keep the American Treasure Hall of Fame uh, apolitical. And I, we may have to put in a Republican person um, to balance it out. I'm all for that. So the, like we could even find future. one. Yeah. Well, not, we could absolutely find one. In I'm kidding. Right would, would, if it wasn't for the past two years, would, wouldn't Trump be in already? Like, didn't he have the <laughs> I quality I before know. we found really out what a horrible racist he was? Like it used to be when he first started this campaign, he was like 50% pivot and 50% American treasure. And I'll even say, I mean, as despicable as some of his rhetoric is, he still has like 5% American treasure just by how brazen he is. Right. It kind of is everything we look for. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's everything we look for in the world. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's hurting his chances, but yeah, totally. We can, we'll find a Republican in the next, we'll, we'll do it. Maybe Lee Atwater. Like I played the heck of a blues guitar. He's dead. <laughs> we'll so, find somebody. But I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm not even going to say, I'm going to say yes. I'm not even going to give Brian a chance to knock this oh, down off its No, there's no kidding. way. I, Joe Biden, I wish Joe Biden was my dad. Like no offense <laughs> to my dad who, who does listen, but I love Joe Biden and I think, his uh yeah totally like his politics is i don't really care it's the just his general presence and uh his i mean look i'll vote for anybody who shows up on parks and recreation pretty much but i love joe biden that's a great a great addition to the wing even better he's a native of scranton pennsylvania perfect so he belongs in the uh dunder mifflin american treasure hall of fame <laughs> if anything else so you're 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 going to love the denim vest, Joe, because it's got an oh. American flag lining and a bald eagle on, on the back. Embroidered. Help him win, win an election. Yes. Just wear that on the campaign trail. You're good. <laughs> Man, he would have he would have easily won this oh, election if so he won. It's so frustrating. Yes. Like a, yes. maybe a decent person could have been running things. <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. We'll see. All right. Uh, that does it for American Treasures. Uh, thank you, Richard, for joining us for this segment. It's been a pleasure. Hey. You guys be good. Behave yourselves. Um, I'm sure you'll immediately say horrible things about me. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to beat you to it. I'm not going to be on the Stranger Things episode uh, because I've decided to uh, start my candle business. It's going to take Scent a lot candle. more time. Yeah, you dedicate it to things. All right, good I'm luck. A sensi, I'm a Sensi rep. So feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll, be, I'll be sending everyone plenty of Facebook messages. Don't worry. What's the but, flavor of the month right now? Uh, it's bananas foster. <laughs> so this is great. I just asked you to see That's how random perfect. it would be. <laughs> bananas foster. It's fantastic. What a hero. <laughs> You're an American treasure, Richard. Thank you, Richard. I love you. All right. I love you guys. Let's you guys have a, a lovely miss you both. Okay, let's take a break, Brian, and come back and talk Stranger Things. Hey ma'am fam question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. 
Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And Bro, like I would ever miss this. Like you would ever miss this. I remember in Weekly Recommends a couple weeks ago, I recommended it. Uh, it was a, I had seen, I think, the first three episodes the night before, and I was super into it and recommended it. And you hadn't seen any of it yet. And I remember saying to you, on that episode, I think I think I said it's the most Brian Gill thing of all time. <laughs> I think yeah. it might be. Uh, what, your, what's your opinion of 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 just how much it appeals uh, to your sensibilities? Because oh. I mean, this gives you. I mean, we talked I think an hour about two years ago about Earth to Echo. And <laughs> right. It was an hour we'll never get. It was on Fourth of <laughs> July weekend. Yeah, and I just remember about to go watch fireworks but nope got to do this earth echo review <laughs> before that and um our most remember, highly rated episode ever mm-hmm. i remember talking about in that i kind of saw what it was going for as far as the nostalgia sure of trying to play off uh iconic films of our past and our youth mm-hmm. and that's fine uh i just didn't like how it went about it maybe I think I kind of felt deep down, though, that there is a way to do it. Um, this proved that there is a way to do it, and for it yeah. not to feel forced and not to feel um, like it's trying to be something that it's not. I mean, this is trying to be Stranger Things, but it knows mm-hmm. exactly where to draw the line as far of as far as uh, honoring the films of the past, or you know, maybe even TV shows of the past that inspired them to do it. Um, and there's a lot of Easter eggs in here. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of them, a lot of the parallels between the movies. They're, they're creepy, honestly. Uh, if you didn't notice them the first time, you will after we talk about it tonight. Um, but, I mean, it's on purpose, but it's just done in a way that's not it's so in your face as the first thing you think of. You actually have to right. think about where where do I know that from, you know, or why is that so familiar to me? Or why is, sure. why is that shot so iconic? Or why does it look so good, you know? Um, a lot of it is because it's playing off old stuff, but I mean, as far as iconic goes, uh, this show, I mean, instantly iconic, I feel like, um, yeah, yeah. this has got, 
already has a huge fan base. I mean, this the uh, I think the actor that plays Eleven or actress is coming to Dallas uh, Comic Con, the Fall Comic Con, as the headline person. Oh wow, wow! Uh, and so, or the, the biggest to this point. So, and so, it's I mean, it's taken off so fast. And honestly, for me, a lot of these shows, these sci-fi shows, especially. Uh, even with Game of Thrones, the ones that get popular, it kind of sort of takes me a while a lot of times to get it, you know, mm-hmm, sure. uh, rather than just, you know, I, I see it and I immediately am hooked and uh, I understand the hype. Uh, this one was different for me in the fact that I understood immediately. I mean, yeah. it was in the within the first scene, which is playing off of some of our most memorable scenes of our youth. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. It just put you, puts you in the world so well. And um, it's instantly nostalgic, but not in a, not in an overtly in your face way. And that's kind of the theme for this entire thing. And I'm excited to talk about this. So let's just start with general thoughts on maybe non spoilers as much as you can, uh, Brian, but um I'm all in on what they did here and I'm excited sure. to talk more about it, but go ahead. Yeah, I love this. The, you, you said it, you hit the nail on the head and said this is like the most Brian Gill thing of all time and you're you're totally right. I, the only way this could have been more up my alley is if uh, they somehow got Dirk Nowitzki involved, you know? I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's just, season it's two, perfect. Season two, season two, maybe. Um, the Spielbergianness of of the whole the whole thing, the whole eight episodes, the setting, the tone, uh, the concept, everything about it just screams of Spielberg. But it's done in such a a true way, such an organic and and real way. It doesn't, you know, you kind of said it, there's a obviously obviously there's a ton of nostalgia that's uh, like a huge part of what makes this both what makes it tick and what makes it successful, what makes it resonate with people. But, but the reason it resonates is not because it's just crammed with nostalgia. It's because, uh, it's because that nostalgia is done with such, uh, with such genuineness, you know, it's, it's not all, there's a lot of, of stuff that I, I think you're going to go through here in a bit. That is, uh, that is purposefully hearkening back to a movie or a TV show or whatever from that era, but it's not, it's not done in such a way that that is like forcing you to oh yeah that's like uh, that's like The Shining or oh yeah that's like Aliens or oh you know ET or whatever it's just it exists and it's there and it's kind of subtle but it's done it's not just done to be nostalgic it's because this is is a the setting serves that purpose you know what I mean like it all fits together so well and I think that's what makes it hit home with so many people. And such a wide range of people too. Like this is, I really like Game of Thrones. There, you know, in a in a ten episode season, there are probably uh, six episodes that I think are really good, and two episodes that I think are kind of meh, and two episodes that I think are are, are great. Um, I don't, I I don't just walk down the street and recommend Game of Thrones to anybody that I come across. You know, it's a big, it's got a huge following, but I don't think that it is nearly as um, wide reaching as something like this is like, this is the show of the year. Don't you think like this? I think, I think you could, you could say to anyone under the age of 
I don't know, 60, like, Hey, you should check out stranger things. I think you'd like it. And I think they're going to be able to find something that they really enjoy about the, the show as a whole. And, and if you can find one thing to grasp onto, I think you pretty quickly will find that there's 10 things to grasp onto and then go from there. It's, I'm blown away by the show, man. Like I, I really, this is such a huge achievement to me because it is done in such a, um, it's done in a way that it's not, it's got like a, an anti cynicism to it almost yeah. like it, it, it's just so, uh, warm despite, you know, the narrative of what's happening. It, it, it just seems like it has it that makes, heart. It, it's so genuine. Spielberg. It makes you feel like you're watching this kind of thing for the first time. Totally. Oddly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like you completely forget about shows it's like, like, right. like the wonder years and shows mm-hmm. like freaks and geeks or movies like the Goonies, uh, it feels like this is a, f- it's reinventing that at sure. the same time while still paying respects to it. It's very, yes. if it, if you could, you could have told me somebody could have found this and put it on and said, this came out in, in 1980. I would have believed you in, in sure. a way, yeah. you know what I mean? Like just yeah, yeah, as yeah. far as like, it feels so out of that time. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. it has like this kind of like pop cultural, deja vu to Mm -hmm. it where like i said you you know in the back of your mind there there are a few things that are a little more (laughs) they're a little less subtle and and a little more kind of in your face i mean like the the corollaries between this and uh and et are are rampant i mean they're just all over the place um but for the most part you don't feel like you're watching someone do an homage to the 80s like you said you feel like you're watching uh you're, you're watching an eight part movie from the eighties and it, man, it hits, it just works so well. And then, uh, I'm, I am really, truly just blown away by the way that, that, uh, the Duffer brothers, which who would think that a couple of guys named the Duffers would come up with something as uh, universally and culturally relevant and important really as, as this has become, uh, I I'm blown away by it. I really, I, I could not have been more, I was not able to sit and watch all eight episodes at one time because I had to watch it with, with my wife and a friend of ours who, who was watching it with us. And so I think it took three sittings to get through. And I, I kind of hated both of them the entire time that I was not finishing the show. You know, like I was, we finished, I think we watched the first three episodes together and then I was kind of like in a bad mood for the next four or five days before we could get back and, and watch the next batch or something. Cause it's just like, I want to know what's happening. I've got to get back in on this. And, uh, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen with, with the typical TV show. So I'll just, I guess before we get into more plot specific stuff, I'll just, we'll just have this kind of Easter egg talk right now, as far as okay. some of the homages go. So first and foremost, it opens Stranger Things opens with a night sky with stars. Uh ET opens with a night sky with stars <laughs> down. Um and then we cut to a lab and a man running through halls with an alarm and nervously tapping the elevator button to escape a force of some kind. We don't know what it is. Uh eerily reminiscent of Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the ending of that when uh pressing the elevator i mean it's almost i mean it's the same thing yeah uh so that's kind of like 
wow, that was really cool, but where do I know that from kind of a thing. And uh, so then we cut to the boys, the, the main four, playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, together, which is, I think, the exact game they're playing in E.T. when we it first is. meet it the is. kids. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost shot for shot E.T. at this point. Um, but what they do here is they kind of set the precedent or the premise of the story in the game. And I kind of picked up on that at first, but I didn't pay Mm -hmm. too much attention to it until later, of course, when you start to kind of realize it. But if you rewatch it again, uh, if you've binged it once and you're on your second go around, pay more attention to that first scene of Dungeons and Dragons because they do kind of... They, they they draw parallels. They they harken back to a lot of the stuff that right. they say there. They 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 foreshadow things, and uh, it's done very cleverly. I will say. Mm-hmm. And so there, there we go with the Dungeons and Dragons references. Um, the actual title sequence in itself is nostalgic. For me, it's a combination of Pulp Fiction, just in the way the letters are coming by and uh, slowly appearing. It's a and the font, the font itself is actually a Stephen King book font. Yeah, I've I've heard. Yeah, so that's why it's so recognizable is because you've seen it on every Stephen King book cover for <laughs> right. thirty years. You just never noticed it, you know. And the music is trying to be Halloween. I feel like in the the heavy synth and the kind of eerie piano of sure. the actual theme song and the score, and so. The score in itself, I think I mentioned last time, I mean, it almost makes the show in some moments. I mean, you almost forget it's there. It does a great job of accenting what's going on, but there are moments where it sticks out. We're like, wow, this is great. This is just so good. Like, it all comes together so great. And there are music swells and everything like you would expect, but they're so so spot on in a lot of areas. And uh, that was something you don't expect from TV is to be awe and awe by the score you know mm-hmm. you are in sure. game of thrones sometimes just because they put so much into it right um but like the walking dead you know you hear the theme song and that's it like you don't ever think about the music again in the episode even though it's there the whole time mm-hmm. but some more little easter eggs uh the brody character of chief hopper did you see this as a, a kind of homage to jaws chief brody yeah the chief hopper yeah. uh cop character who's small town guy, you know, he's dealing with, normally he's dealing with just inordinate problems like, Oh, cat ran up the tree again, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now he's actually facing a real threat and nobody totally. believes him. Right. Uh, I, I kind of drew that parallel. Loved there. it. Yeah. So that's not, I mean, that's Spielberg, but that's not ET. I'm just saying there are other things that they're drawing from or mm-hmm. referencing that aren't necessarily one movie or one, franchise or anything so i appreciated that there's just a lot of like stuff and just the kids in themselves the the team of them is of course the goonies uh but yeah. super eight was more recent and i think it's very similar to the group of kids in super eight which of course was playing off the goonies it's all like a big mountain <laughs> right. or chain yeah. but, it all uh, ties together yeah the circle of spielberg <laughs> yeah yeah, it's Spielberg produced Super Eight, so it does. Yeah, it's kind of the cir- circle. Um, so the kids in themselves are great. Uh, I don't know where they found these kids. I know they're all so it's, good. They're all good. That might, that might be the most 
amazing thing about this whole project is like we have seen probably at this point hundreds of times in TV and film where the casting of a, a child has ruined <laughs> at least an arc on the show, if not the show as a whole, right? Like there's just so many times to the point that like two and a half. Men, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Andy Greenwald, who's the TV critic for, uh, previously at Grantland is now at the ringer is one of my, one of my favorite, uh, TV critics. And, and he, at some point back in the day, Grantland was basically just like, just stop casting kids in these roles. Just stop shoehorning a child into, these adult settings that don't really call for it. Like we can all just suspend reality as a society and pretend like there's no, like there's no kids involved in this because it's just, it happens over and over again, whether it's, you know, Carl on the walking dead is a pretty good example of just like anytime they cut to him, I, I want to just claw my eyes out. It's the, it's the worst. And, uh, Walt on loss was pretty bad at times. Anyway, there's, there's so many examples of this, let alone, you know, like kind of the most egregious example of, of the Phantom Menace, which is like, seriously, you had your pick of every child actor in the world. And this is who we, this is who we came out with. It's amazing how many times that gets done wrong. And in this case, (laughs) I mean, they got it. They killed it. They killed it. Every single, every single character, every single young actor in this show is absolutely on point. And it's amazing that they got that right. The kid, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Mike, is so good. Like, yes. How, is, how have we not seen him in 50 movies? I mean, this is, I guess you got to start somewhere, but I <laughs> right. mean, good grief. How, how, maybe the Duffer brothers are just that good of directors or whoever. I don't think they directed every episode of this, but still, I mean, maybe it's just magic in a bottle. I just, I just don't see how you get that many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got Godin Matazaro is dusty. so awesome. Yeah, he is so good too. He's um, perfect. You know, I think you part of it is seen him before too. Yeah, I think part of it is when you're working with kids. Like I work with kids in my in my you know daily life, my my job, and you can't. It's really hard to predict what kids are going to do. You know, I, I coach, I coach sports with, uh, you know, somewhere between first and, and fifth grade typically. And one of the, for me, like one of the, the best skills that I can figure out how to, to utilize is to change up my approach, at least as far as like how I interact with the kids. If not just on the way down to like my, my game planning, the way that we're going to strategize, the way that we're going to, uh, try to you know win ball games. Y- you adapt that to the kids, and I think that's what's happening here. I think I, I say that because like you, you mentioned, uh, uh, Gaiden Matarazzo, his character Dustin, who's like totally steals the movie or the show, right? Like he's everybody's favorite. I think. Um, I think that that character probably is that kid. Like I think. Mm-hmm. Seven or maybe you know obviously it's a it's an exaggerated version of that kid, but you especially just on the way down to uh, to his uh, his disease that he talks about, and now I can't think of what it's called, but that he talks about dysplasia of the teeth, why he has a lisp or whatever. Exactly, like he actually has that in real life. Mm -hmm. So I think you're what you're seeing is they obviously they had some characters written up and they know what they're going to do 
with the show from a narrative standpoint, but the best way to get a quality performance out of a kid is to let the kid be that kid. I saw him as kind of a combination between Chunk from Goonies and like (laughs) Donatello in a weird way (laughs) (laughs) from the Turtles, like the smart kind of gadget driven one of them too. So it's kind of a weird thing to have both of those but i mean they're all so good caleb mclaughlin who plays lucas is great and we Mm -hmm. don't see much of will the character will and i guess that's where we kind of start with this whole uh thing with episode one is we have a couple questions to answer and these are the questions i came up with after episode one uh where is will we Mm -hmm. need to find that out we need to find out who is eleven uh, we need to find out what the heck was that monster and what what the heck is the government up to. So there's sure. four things that need to be answered in this series right there. And that was just me sitting down, watching the episode, writing it down. There wasn't any official release. Here's this. Here's what we're going to discover. Uh, it's just very – it's laid out very plainly and just – I appreciated that in uh, in the fact that I didn't need to know – where this was going. I knew what we had. Okay. Eight up, okay. I was just hoping we would get most of these before the end of the season. And it almost works like a, you said movie earlier. Uh, mm. You're right though. It's kind of, it is a movie. It's an eight, kind of an eight hour movie. Yeah. I think about it. Um, and especially people that binge it would, would say that too. But speaking of stuff that was iconic, I guess Spielberg is just that good. Like, can there never be a scene of kids riding bikes that isn't <laughs> like a, that we don't think is a ripoff of VT? You know what I mean? Yeah, the, but that the one opening, was pretty clear homage. No, to I'm talking VT. about the one in the, the first episode. Okay, okay. When yeah. they're at night with the like flashlights and everything. Uh, the other one we'll talk about later, but it uh, it was an homage. It was it was a clear and it's a clever one too. Um, it's more spoilery though, but. Sure. Um, what did we think of how this was introed? And uh, did you have any thoughts on, as far as at the beginning, where you thought it was going to go? Or were you surprised by that at all? I think that first episode ends, and you really are left with mm-hmm. a lot of questions. And just, I knew I was in from about minute, uh, you know, half a second. I'm just <laughs> totally in on this. But at that point, you are kind of wondering: Is this more horror? Is it more sci-fi? Is it you know, what are, what exactly are we doing here? You know, I knew at least like I'm super into this and I'm, I'm interested in what's going to happen, but I don't, I think that first episode leaves you with a lot. You said a lot of questions, but just, a, but also just a sense uh, kind of wonderment of like, I don't, I don't know where we're going to go with this. There's a lot of different ways that, that we could, that we could go. Yeah. Something else is, uh, hazmat suits. <laughs> we ever use those again on film? No. No, not in that, not in that manner, at uh, least. Not like, in this was, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hazmat suits are, I mean, it's just funny how one movie can like change the way you <laughs> view something as simple as a hazmat suit. We haven't right. talked at all about Winona Ryder or uh, Natalia Dyer. Uh, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. And these, uh, one of them was Nancy, and I'm, <laughs> this is where it kind of failed for me was the Nancy uh, plot line. But 
there it, i think like later in the later in the series it really really is great now there's one yeah. scene with nancy that's like really like worth it all um totally but it's like every time they cut to her and her boyfriend or steve whatever his mm-hmm. name was i was just like yeah steve harrington i was just like stop like yeah. go back to the kids or to even to uh hopper i wanted yeah i wanted to see more of him or why own a writer even yeah um that was the one plot that didn't really work for me 100 percent I think they do a very good job of making all of those early scenes that you're not totally on board with or, or don't care about. They make them work as a as an eight episode whole. You know, I think I think Ryder up through the first two episodes, you know, I started watching, I don't know, two weeks after the show came out and I'd seen all this great buzz about what Winona Ryder was doing. And I'm I'm two episodes in and I'm like, I mean, it's not bad, but I don't really get it. Like this is pretty generic, uh, mom and a scary movie kind of stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just wasn't there. And it's kind of the same with, with Nancy and Steve. Every time we jump to that plot line, I'm like, this is kind of a distraction from what I really care about. But I feel like they, they bring it full circle by, by the time when you look at it as a whole and not episodically, um, I think it all, it, not only does it work, but it all ties in, it's all relevant, you know, and uh, we'll talk more about, I'm sure both, but certainly about writer later, but I, the Nancy Steve stuff, I think they're, they're doing a good job of, of laying the groundwork of where all these characters are coming from. And this sort of, I think those first episodes more than anything else, it gives you a, kind of a clear indication. I, I feel like of why Nancy is, is going to be more sympathetic towards, Jonathan, who could be a really creepy character, I think you kind of see those early seeds of like she's a much nerdier character than she's letting on, or she is um, kinder hearted than her friends are. Um, and and I think you get the same with Steve. You get these this sense of like Steve's not really a villain; he's just uh, a teenager. Yep. You know, he's just a jock. And that's so anyway. All that to say, I you're right. The first couple episodes, I was totally bored by those interactions and those plot lines, but I think it comes full circle when you look at it as a whole. Yeah, I was confused or I was wondering how how was all of this that's going on going to be related? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how sure. is how is Will's disappearance and the monster and the uh telekinesis of eleven and what's going on with the paranormal stuff with uh, Winona Ryder? How is this all going to be one incident or one thing? It just felt like there was so much going on. Like there's more than one problem here, guys. You know, <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah. But I mean, of course, it's one thing that makes it all happen. But they do a good job of like there's multiple crises happening at one time. But of course, they're all related, which is great storytelling. But sure. um, episode three, boom, <laughs> we get the, I guess it's called Holly Jolly, and we get kind of the Christmas light stuff with Winona Ryder, which is very creepy. And I got to say, uh, props to her because she went all out for this, you could tell. Yeah, yeah. And she had to have so much faith that this wasn't going to be the worst thing ever because if this, like, if this didn't have the right tone... Mm-hmm. None of that works. And everyone's laughing at this crappy show Winona Ryder yes. did on Netflix, you know, like, yes, if this is, if this is played for camp intentionally or unintentionally, um, 
this is uh this is a, a really rough move for her career wise. You know, she's kind of on this tick where she she's sort of on the upswing, but she does need to play her cards right to have a, a, a next phase of her career. And and this could have yeah, you're totally right. Like this could have gone badly, I think very easily. And her to be fair to her, her character could have even still even as good as this show is her character could have gone badly very easily without her her performance making it work cuz that that kind of character gets old fast right like that very um frantic kind of manic mom like no one really likes that character too much and she does it so well uh that yeah. Yeah. by the, and that and that comes that comes home in the third episode where it really it really takes off it really does, and we have another homage to E.T. here with Eleven watching a Coke commercial. Yes. Which is very, yeah. very easily drawing a parallel there. But episode three also contains something that I hate, and it's library slide scenes. <laughs> At least it's important. It was doing so much thing right, right until they got to the library and started going through the slides. Yeah. I mean it- – they got to have those slides in 83. They did dude. not have any folders in, in Stranger Things, though. So true. they've eliminated folders and replaced yeah. them with slides, which is a good step. Yeah. The microfish. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was just dude. like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so funny, though. It's kind of like you have to have that in this, though. Yeah. You had to have so it nostalgic. In There's, no, There's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I thought episode three is not only where the, to me, the show took off and really established what it is going to be from a narrative and for most of the characters, I think episode three is where you get a true sense of where this is going to go. I thought that I thought it's the best episode of this sh- of the series. It might be the best episode of television I've seen this year. Like I was completely mesmerized by what was happening. I was terrified with the lights and the the uh, lighting up right here. Oh my gosh, that freaked me out so much. And you know how I feel about horror movies. I was like, is this where I don't, I don't know if I can handle this and starting to get pretty nervous. Um, That's another ET reference right here. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm telling you ET is right here (laughs) all over this thing. Um, But man, I, I, I'm curious what you think about that episode as a whole, where it sits with this, but dude, to me, that's as good as television gets. And yeah, that was, yeah. that was, it felt like a movie. It didn't feel like TV. Yeah. This is the point yeah. where I was like, this is a move. This is one big right. story that we're going to get a good resolution. Right. And it was, I, I don't think I stopped at that point. I think I saw, I think I watched three and then I was all in and didn't stop until I had seen it all. I didn't watch mm-hmm. anything else until I'd seen the rest. So that's very rare. Usually I'll take breaks and break it up with stuff. But, um, I was all in for for episode three, and um, the Christmas light stuff might be the creepiest stuff in here to me. Yeah, it's very strange. Like why anyone yeah. would go yeah. that far, and um, it's very weird. Her character's evolution, Winona Ryder, and the fact that uh, she's we're kind of seeing it through her perspective in a lot of ways. Um, yes, and we see what she sees we hear will with with her you know we know she's not crazy so i guess that kind of makes it more bearable or more mm-hmm. believable for us um i have episode four here do you have any other thoughts on episode three we move on yeah just the way that it ends there is 
I think also kind of brings the emotional level of the whole show up because yes, we know, or at least we believe that, that will is alive, but then you get, you know, the, the reveal on his body and, uh, and it ends kind of innocuous or, uh, ambigu- or excuse me, good gracious, ambiguously, <laughs> man, ambiguously, um, it's late. Sorry. And that is a, I think that's where the, I think that's where the show's emotions start to match when I'm a writer's emotions. And uh-huh. I think that's an important shift for, for the show as a whole, because, you know, you take, like I said, those first two episodes, she's, she's a little annoying because she's just so out there, but then you look at it towards the end of this episode and you think, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because she's this kid's mom. Everybody else, I mean, you know, they care, but they don't care like you're like the mom cares. And now, now there's a body and now it's really come home to roost for all of these kids and for everybody in the town and all this sort of stuff. And that, I think that, I think at that moment you, you really see how all in writer was, I, and not just all in, but on the right note that she yeah. was, you know, she's playing at the right speed at the right note. And, and now the rest of the show has, has kind of leveled up to her. And that's, that's an important distinction, I think. We move on to episode number four and uh, season one, episode four. I should preface. <laughs> We're talking about season one. Uh, it's called The Body. And oh. these are all titles of that could be Stephen King books, by the way. Right. The Ho- Holly Jolly. That sounds like a creepy Christmas book. Mm-hmm. The Weirdo on Maple Street is <laughs> yeah. chapter two. This yeah. one's called The Body. Um <laughs> And I wrote in my notes here, um, music when 11 becomes a girl, star, 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 um, meaning the music swell, the, the moment, music moment when 11 puts on the wig and we see, I guess, her as a girl or the sure. boys do. It's so <laughs> freaking perfect. I was mm-hmm. like, I almost like stood up and ran out of the room and like had to go get a drink of water. Like it was that like cinematic and good, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah. So good. And that, that scene is also ET reference. And the fact that they dress ET up in like the same dress and wig yes. that they dress a lot. I don't know why it has to be that kind of heavy handed in a way, you know, like this overall, okay it. overall it gets kind of a pass, but that's kind of a little, like it's obvious, so obvious that it's a wig. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. In the same way ET was, but um, it's funny. It's a funny reference, I guess. It was a funny way to reference that. Uh, I think. So, yeah. what did you think of anything that happened in the body? Um, we find out we're in. Spo- we need to get spoilers now. Yeah. Okay? Just all spoilers. in on spoilers. All at this in. Point. All if in not, spoilers <laughs> coming up. Stranger Things. Uh, watch it. Okay. Fake, <laughs> fake body. What do we get of this? I was really, I mean, really weird reveal. We knew something was up, right? But I mean, the way he just cuts into that body, you're like, oh, what's, what is it going to be? Yeah. What's it actually going to be? Turn away. Yeah. 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 You're really creeped out about that. What I like about that episode more than anything else, though, is it, I think that's, you know, I said season, excuse me, episode three is where, uh, the show comes up to, uh, to Winona Ryder's level. I think this is the episode where, uh, Hopper, really becomes the character that um that i that i loved i don't know i want to speak for you but outside of dustin he's my favorite part of the show and i i thought up until that point he's a a 
just this side of a generic small town cop. Um, and then you get to that episode and he is really, truly going above and beyond to, uh, to like figure out what, what the heck is happening. And he, and then you get some of the, you know, he realized you, you start to see that it's more personal to him because of his own past and, and things like that. But I thought that that was a, that that's the episode where it just really pushes forward the, uh, the narrative of like what his role in this whole thing is. And then what he, what lengths he's willing to go to as a character. Uh, the whole bit with him accosting the state trooper and basically just beating him until he Mm -hmm. gets the story out of him is a really, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. And it, that puts him on a, I think your character has two different roads that you can go down at that point. And it's either you just kind of continue to be the somewhat lazy kind of doesn't really want to do much work small town cop or you are basically you're taking on the man at that point and he chooses to take on the man and it i think it was a really cool scene and it's done very well and it it you know leads them down a a different path that i makes that character awesome yeah Yeah. makes it a really good character exactly um this is this this is the episode with nancy versus her mom scene (laughs) that i said was really good Sure. She, that actress, this must have been her audition scene or something because she nails this scene and mm-hmm. it's worth that plot line for this. But up until now, she's been annoying, kind of like we're living through her pubescent years kind of a thing. And uh, right. she doesn't have any significance until she meets up with Jonathan, who is Will's brother. And uh, they decide to, I guess, team up and find out what's going on mm-hmm. but uh obviously they fall in love uh, <laughs> sort of yeah or he falls in love with her right right or whatever but um i guess you had to have some kind of some kind of romance going on here uh, with them but it uh it meant something it just took four or five episodes for her to mean anything to this story um once she does it's fine you know, I, I hate it a little less than I did before, <laughs> but I still, I get kind of cringy thinking about their, his, his, Jonathan's trying to flirt with her and stuff. It's just kind of awkward and everything, you know? Sure. How it all yeah. plays out. It definitely is awkward, but the one thing that I, I will give that sequence over w- what typically happens in this sort of uh TV show or movie is I feel like. I feel like the show recognizes that this is not the romance that's going to come away as the winner, right? Like Jonathan and Nancy are not going to be together for the rest of their lives. And they, they sort of, uh, it seems like the, the show as a whole kind of recognizes that and respects that of just like, this is kind of just two people that are being thrown together because of some really weird circumstances that would never take place in normal everyday life. And that's not typically something, you know, it's not, that's not going to turn into a lifelong relationship, right? Like that's a, that's, that's a mo that's a thing in the moment. And I think kind of that awkwardness plays into that in some ways. And it, it made it work for me at least. Chapter five or episode five is the flea and the acrobat. And this is where we first learn about the gate or the veil of shadows or the upside down, <laughs> what they call it here or the another, the next dimension, I guess all of this has led up to the fact that there's 
another dimension that the your friends have been trapped in, essentially. Um, yeah. And there's some kind of portal, some kind of way they're getting there. Um, little did they know that the way they're getting there is a horrific creature. Uh, that's kind of an added bonus. Like, the portal would have been enough. The time travel or whatever, the the wormhole element could, would have been enough. But mm-hmm. we, we get kind of a classic monster uh, in a sense, like a universal, universal in the sense of like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, the mummy. A universal monster is kind of a monster as a kind of an added bonus in this, which sure. I liked. Mm-hmm. It's not just supernatural horror or uh, paranormal in the fact of ghosts or anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also like creatures and monsters, which is my favorite genre of horror or sci-fi. If you've, if you've, you know, my love for Pacific Rim and all things Kaiju right. and Godzilla and stuff. I love big monsters and awesome look creature design. And I felt like this was, this was great design for a creature. Yeah. It was scary. It was not too big. I think oftentimes too big of monsters can not be scary. Um, mm-hmm. This was kind of like a man size, which is always creepy. Yeah. And it has like the body of a man. But like the face of Predator meets like uh, a Venus flytrap. Yeah, the devil. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was creepy, uh-huh. and I don't know how they how much money they spent on this show, but they they spent it well because the special effects were spot on for totally TV. I thought, mm-hmm. or special effects were good for going for something that was made in the eighties, but still kind of push it to the next level too, special effects yeah. wise. So I like that. So the flea and the acrobat, we learn about the gate. I guess there's no other way to learn about a gate than by, except for punching a hole through paper, like in uh <laughs> interstellar or something, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, that's like the true. official NASA way to explain that. <laughs> yeah. Let me just give me this paper and fold it in half. And, uh, but no, it's the easiest illustration. I'm just giving them a hard yeah. time, but, uh, it's cool. Kind of a discovery of that and the way they, parallel it to again dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. was was fun yeah and you know i like that too because it's a i feel like a lot of times in a in a heady sci-fi you're gonna get a lot of explanation and exposition and description of of how this is working and in this you get you know like a 30 second crash course in the the science of it, just the theory of it, and then you see, you see L touch the the monster in the in the upside down, and you just kind of have to infer, okay, so that is what opens up the gate, and you don't get a lot of explanation on why or how or any of that, and I, I prefer that mm-hmm. <laughs> in sci-fi. There's times when, you know, I really liked Interstellar, and there's some, there's a lot of. Uh, scientific jargon to that and there's plenty of other movies like that that are i i can get behind that at times but for the most part i prefer it if you will just say here's how this works this is this is the reality now just go with it and if as long as you don't give me a reason to question that reality then i'm i'm happy and i felt like that was a that was a perfect amount of explanation and then 
here, see this scene and then boom. Okay. Now do you understand? Yep. Okay. Then we're moving on. And that's, there's no reason to bog us down in, uh, you know, a 30 minute scene of, of science jargon, you know, and just descript whether it's factual or not. I don't care. It just move on. And I thought they did such a good job with that. They did a good job of kind of intertwining some factual science in this too. Mm-hmm. Like with the yeah, worm yeah, totally. and stuff. Absolutely. Like yes. Take take real science. Give me a 30-second crash course on the real science behind this. Then just assume that I assume that this is a possibility, at least in the this, the reality of this world. You know what I mean? And just go. So the last three episodes are kind of one – kind of the third act of this thing. Mm-hmm. And the first of those being chapter six, the monster, and this is more monster movie than any of the episodes, and I appreciated that a lot because, uh, like I said, I like I like monster movies, but it kind of trades off genres in a way between episodes. Do you know, do you know if that was on purpose sure. or not? It kind of, I don't know, it kind of takes on a different tone. Like they're they're this, they're similar, but they're different in tone. Uh, the episodes are. Sure. Yeah. Six and eight are kind of a monster movie and seven is mm-hmm. like the best more, episode of Fringe. <laughs> yeah. It's like a more supernatural, weird, like exorcist almost kind of a, yeah, kind of a thing. Um, but chapter seven is the bathtub episode and this is more focused on, I guess the, the, the upside down. Um, could you have done without, I mean, this is this is not based on any source material or anything. This isn't based on any comic book that we know of or uh, anything like that. Um, is there any part of this that you could have done without? Like, did it ever become too much as far as, okay, now there's a monster, now there's a parent, now there's a, a wormhole, you know what I mean? Um, It worked for me. I, I liked, I thought they spent the appropriate amount of time to kind of give you a sense of how horrible the upside down is. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd seen, I've seen a few people that have complained about, or, or at least pointed out that it is kind of weird that will is just kind of staying ahead of their staying away from the monster somehow is continuing to hide from it. I thought that worked really well. Cause I, I, I felt like they conveyed a sense of, of impending doom if they can't find him mm-hmm. quite well. And, um, I think the bathtub, with her kind of jumping back into the upside down, I think that was pretty important to show not only, you know, again, how, how awful the upside down is just from a, a creepy, gross, awful looking place, but also give you a sense of like how will is, is trying to find ways to, uh, you know, to stay hidden and to stay alive. I, I didn't mind it at all. I, it, it, it worked for me. We also start to learn more about 11 in the history there. Because mm-hmm. they always kind of hint back at it and flashback, if you will, to uh, when Eleven was not with the boys, I guess, in her past, when she was under control. Sure. And uh, you always start to feel that. But the way that they use it against Eleven later, and like, I'm your father, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Come with me. We want the best for you. Like the government right, and everything. Right. It's like, ugh. Like, you, you like... Only she knows that. Only she knows what she's been through, you know, kind of sure. thing. It's, uh, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time in real life, too, you know, mm. and it's bad. Um, but good thing is that Eleven has the boys, and uh, of course, one of them had to fall for her. It's the main character. 
Obviously. And it couldn't be uh it couldn't be Dustin. He's too fat. <laughs> yeah, he's the comedic he's relief. The, he's all. the fat kid. Yeah, he doesn't have any teeth. He can't be. And, and uh we start to get more answers about Will. We find him the way they're like he's like cocooned up and like has the tentacles in him. It's really gross and Mm-hmm. It's, that that's kind of plays off more on, on Alien too as well. Yeah, with yeah. the face huggers and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, the gross and the, fun and part the of eighties sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, pods. the pod that they stumble across in the, the upside down was was an interesting. Yeah, a lot of a lot of nightmares, a lot of flashes yeah. to pods. Oh, You're in the so. forest of pods yeah. at night. So, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I thought the design for the upside down was good. I did too. I really liked that. It, it was, was kind of a. It was kind of simple. like a bizarro version of our our right. world, right? Yeah. And I'd heard I'd heard somebody. I'm gonna. I think it was Geek 101 podcast. Mike on the Geek 101 podcast mentioned that uh, the theory exists, at least that uh, the upside down does not exist until until Eleven touches the monster, and so that's why. That's why that world appears so much like ours, just you know, dark and covered in awful uh, upside down monstery sort of vines and whatnot. Is is just it's it's basically like made. It's a parallel universe made up of whatever ours is, just just kind of you know disgusting because it had not existed until she touched the monster. And I hadn't heard that theory. It sounded and I, it made sense to me. It hit home. Like yeah, that that works because there doesn't have yeah. to be a whole lot of backstory on like why the upside down, what the upside down is or how it exists or what exists within it or how long it, you know what I mean? It's just, it is. And that's, I think that's an interesting, very interesting look. So chapter eight is called the upside down. Uh, we didn't mention that. And mm-hmm. we get a good conclusion to all this because, um, we're left kind of with things in limbo, if you will. <laughs> um, Sure. With uh, Eleven being left in the Upside Down, so to speak, and we now have the fact that we have, um, what's his name, Will, is, okay, quote-unquote normal again, but he um, has still has the kind of sickness or the infection from the monster, creature, goopy, planty stuff. Um right. And we're we I guess season two is gonna he's gonna kind of be the lead of that I assume, um, plot wise, and we're gonna have to see like what the like how long has he been coughing up slugs into the uh, <laughs> right. into the, the sewers you know what I mean or right. puking them down the drain or um, he seems like okay with it all as in like this has happened before and it's only going to happen more. And just, it's just something I got to deal with now, but we just don't know where it's going to go. Obviously it's going somewhere, but what did you think of where it all ends up? I thought it was a perfect ending because I, I feel like in a series like this, you always want to end it with, you, you always want to end with something that feels right. If this ends up being the, the actual end, like if they didn't do a season two, you want to feel good about where you end up. Um, and, and if you can leave yourself just a couple of, of loose threads to go back to, if you do get a season two, then then great. And I thought they did a great job with that because I think quite clearly uh, Dr. Brenner's character is still alive. Qu- uh, quite clearly 
Eleven is still alive in some form or fashion somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Will is 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 pretty jacked up. So there's a lot of uh, you know if if they decide you know what we're not doing any more Stranger Things, then I feel like you got a pretty good ending, right? Like you yeah, can walk yeah. away from that saying, okay, it's it's a little bit ambiguous, but you can let your imagination wander and. We've yeah, I can feel pretty good about all that. But if they do come back from for season two, you know, is Will turning into the upside down monster? Is he, you know, some sort of is he actually Will? What if he's not really Will? What if it's like some uh, some kind of uh, you know shapeshifter? Oh, Will, yeah. Um, is it? You know, I've seen I saw a couple of interviews with the Duffer Brothers, and they said if nothing else, like you can't live down there for four days or whatever and not come out scarred. So is it just that? Is he just kind of um, emotionally and physically scarred from his time there? Or is it something more sinister? You got a lot to do with that. There's all kinds of different possibilities with 11. I'm excited, man. Like I think they did a great job of, of leaving you uh, places to go with season two without it seeming contrived or without it mm-hmm. feeling like you're really pushing the envelope of you like, gotta hurry those where, things. You, I know, yes, I know season yes, two it's, is it's coming next year. Yeah. It's next year, it's but next year. these kids are only getting older, you know? Right. Like, right. You got to move quick. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta like film three seasons in like six months. I'm not even <laughs> right. kidding because these kids yeah. are going to, in a year, they're not going to be cute or right. funny anymore. Right. They're just going to be like annoying preteens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, there's a certain, like, there's part of me that kind of wishes that this was it, that this, we weren't yeah, getting anymore. Yeah. As much as I love, love, love the show, um, and, and enjoyed the ride and, and we'll go back and watch it many times in the future. Um, you know, we know there the law of diminishing returns. Like if you keep pumping out a season of this every year, it will start to suck at some point and you'll run out of ways to make, the upside down scary or make it interesting or make these characters make, make us care about the characters. So like I would say three seasons and I'm out, right? Like that's mm-hmm. about where we should go with these characters and with this, um, this particular narrative. Now, if you want to really go all in, I think you could do a couple more seasons with this and then you could have Hopper move somewhere else and have some stuff pop up with him. Cause I think that is a character you could build a spinoff or an anthology off of, you know, something like that. I think you could take his character and go do some fun stuff with it. If you wanted to keep, you know, keep this, uh, this spirit of this show alive. But I, I, I would say they're getting nine more episodes for season two and I'm stoked about that, but you can kind of already see the writing on the wall as far as like, I expect this time next year, there'll be 100 million, uh, articles out there about why season two of stranger things was a disappointment, you know, yeah. like you can already feel it coming and that's such a beat down. And I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. It'd be great if it wasn't, but you just, I just know how the internet works, you know? So at some point you got to call this quits. I would say, Hey, get, get uh, two more seasons in and then let's just, let's call it and, and finish strong and, and finish on a, on a high note. Some other parallels I forgot to mention that I noticed. Um, any parallels you notice between Nancy's character and L and the movie Carrie or the character of Carrie? Sure, sure. I noticed that, especially when Nancy was getting slut shamed later in the series when they mm-hmm. kind of call her out for 
her being with her boyfriend. Um, that's a very Carrie type of thing. Right. And, uh, I, I just felt like the first four episodes with her, they were trying to make her Molly Ringwald, you know, her character and just kind of her struggling through, like, it was like 16, we're cutting to 16 candles every other scene. We're cutting Mm -hmm. between ET and 16 candles is what we're doing and Jaws. So I noticed that as well. Sure. Um, yeah. And one more scene we need to talk about was the van flip or the other bike scene that you mentioned. And that is playing off ET. And it's so clever because right when you think the bikes are about to take off or, or 11 is going to make the bikes hover, mm-hmm. she flips the van over which the is kids, awesome. which is like the best like <laughs> yeah. choice ever on doing that. Um, yeah. It is so good and looks great. I don't know how much they spent on flipping a van, but that worked great. That was an awesome scene. That scene was was just like, yes, 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 yes. That's all you want from that. At that moment, that's all you want is for her to just go total BA and wreck it. And she does. It's great. Um, I'm spent, man. I love this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I could talk for another hour about it, honestly. I think the cinematography was great. The costuming was excellent. I mean, as mm-hmm. soon as you put the hat on Dustin, you know, it's like, that's it. You know, that's the char- character. It's like this, this show is just a Drew Struzan poster, like come to life, you know? Yeah, like, totally. It's just like 100%, yeah. warm thing you could think about when you're thinking of family films, science fiction, and like your childhood <laughs> you know, wrapped mm-hmm. up into one thing. And it's new and original. I love that it's original. That's my favorite thing. This is sure. not... This is not like, oh my gosh, they remade the Twilight Zone and it's awesome. This is right. like a new thing and I'm so excited for where it goes. So yeah. I'm excited about these directors too, the Duffer Brothers. Yeah. You know, they did um what is it? Wayward Pines. Called? Wayward Pines. Yeah, and they wrote the that. First yeah. four episodes of Wayward Pines are awesome. And then it kind of peters out after that. Um, but they they definitely have me locked in for for that first season, just based on the you know the first few few episodes. It was so good and so interesting, and and I, and very reminiscent of of this show too. Absolutely. Um, any other thoughts on this at all? Um, you know, I think one of the better choices that they made originally, this show was supposed to be set uh, on like. Matok or Nantucket or something, something like that, like a a beach town mm-hmm. in the, in the winter, and that is cool. Like that would be a cool setting. But I think one of the best choices they made, whether it was because of budgeting or just you know filming or whatever, was to set it where they did because, yeah, it takes place in Hawkins, Indiana, but that's such a middle of nowhere town that you you kind of feel like it could be. Your it's any town USA. It could be anywhere. Yeah. It's any town USA, exactly. And I think that's a, a stroke of genius. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of adds to that. You know, this whole project is like giving you kind of a sense of home, and that's why it works so well. And that I think that adds to the to that sense, to that feeling uh, of just like this is this could be me. This could be anywhere. This could be me as a kid. This could have been you know my, you know whatever my parents as a kid, whatever. And and it, uh, I think that that brings it home a little more. Yeah, we heard stories that this was denied between 15 and 20 times from networks. Yeah. I just don't see how that's possible. I mean, it it happened, so it's possible, but I just don't <laughs> right. see how yeah. anyone could see this idea and not think it could work 
on TV in today's TV world, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It worked yeah, somewhat yeah. as a movie with Super 8, but maybe mm-hmm. yeah. that wasn't a huge success. So people were like, nah, we're good. I just think like Sci-Fi Network or um, FX would have loved to have this show, I, I would have thought. You would have thought with American Horror Story being so huge and Walking Dead for AMC. I mean, you just, I, I would have thought it would have gotten picked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Maybe yeah. like – if you show if you had shown me the first five minutes of the pilot, I would have been like, yes, all in, twenty right. episodes now. You know, like that's all. Maybe that's what they didn't have uh, before Netflix. But uh, just amazing what what they miss out on on network yeah. television is incredible. I just think I think I think exec, TV executives especially they shy away from anything that involves kids because they think it well, it's a kid show, and that's not. You know, it's not true, but they can't see a way to make that work for one. And I think probably the 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 setting that the setting should help, but for whatever reason, I think that that also shies makes them shy away. And I think this kind of like the tension between is it horror, is it sci-fi? You know, and as we sit here having watched it, it doesn't matter. Just it works. It doesn't matter what what mm-hmm. genre it actually is. But I think that that's something that scares off TV executives when you can't put something in a box and say this is what this is. This is how we market that. Um, I think they just you know they instantly. It's like an immediate no because they don't know what to do. Or with they it. could say, hey, it's like a you know it's a new story, but it's playing off all these stories. You know, all the movies from your youth, like E.T. and the Goonies, and like, uh, did you right. see Earth to Echo? It didn't do well. No <laughs> right. thanks. Yeah. You know, that's sure. that's the end of conversation right there. Um, maybe this just worked so well because it was on Netflix, and it did kind of have an underground start. Um, not to say it wouldn't have been successful on network TV, but maybe it's because it, you can binge watch it, and you can take it all in and make your own decision. It's not episodic, and you're not hearing reviews week after week about it and right the social media buzz is starting you know what i mean it's just kind of it came yeah. and it went and people loved it and it's just kind of in a time capsule you know right right and i never would have known this show i mean literally i found out because one day i was on netflix and i saw it like that was yeah yeah and it looked cool and so i mean maybe that was maybe that benefited its success who knows sure i think any show that's on netflix is almost insulated against um the type of failure that we see all too often on network tv where you know a show comes out and it's an interesting show or good and it has some some interesting ideas but it doesn't do well instantly and within two days everybody knows that this show is not going to make it so you you don't have to watch it even if it looked good to you you're not going to want to watch this because in a month at best it's going to be canceled on netflix a, you're getting to see the entire thing right up front, but B, they don't. We don't know what kind of ratings <laughs> these things get, and so they're kind of. It's like a built-in force field against the early jumpers. You know yeah. what I mean? Like these people. Like who knows? I don't know how many people watch Stranger Things. Was it fifty million? Was it two million? The way it, it goes is I, you don't, I don't know. You don't and, hear buzz on it because. Um, a lot of stuff like Narcos, for example, season two just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to read anything on Narcos season two 
good or bad because I don't want to be spoiled on Arco season two. So I see it all. Right. So I do kind of like reserve my yes. intake of the media until I see all of it because I can't totally. see all of it at any point uh, Same. rather Same than way. like game of Thrones and stuff. It's just like a week by week conversation that never ends and you have to be caught right. up and you have to be up to speed all the time. Whereas this, it's like watch it at your own on your own leisure and enjoy it. And it just kind of, I feel sure. like people are still talking about uh, like uh, like Master of None season one, which was like two years ago at this point. But it's still <laughs> right. They, I just watched no, it a couple weeks no ago. There's no real yeah. window of relevancy on a lot of these shows, and uh, sure that, that bodes well for Stranger Things because it's got a feeling of timelessness. But man, I'm I'm kind of disappointed we're getting another season. But they'd be stupid not to at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can't you can't blame them for for moving forward with that. And I think they've got I think they've got plenty of material to do. Eight now they know the characters, they know who people like, they know mm, what yeah. they can get away with more. And I think, I think we're in for it actually a treat. I just, I just hope not. I hope, I hope it doesn't suck, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah um, totally. but as far as grades, Brian, um, I'm gonna give this whole series a solid A. Um, yeah. it would be an A plus if it wasn't for a lot of the Nancy stuff at the beginning. Um, but maybe I'm not a girl, maybe I'm not a girl, so I didn't appreciate that as much, <laughs> but. Uh, for me, this is an A. This was solid. This is as good as TV gets uh, nowadays, honestly. Sure. Yeah, dude, I'm going to go A+. Plus. The, to me, we didn't mention a le- how good uh, Millie like Bobby Brown is. is yeah. She was so fantastic yeah. in the in the show, and she has star potential written all over her. Um, she was fantastic. I love the sense of identity that the show is. It's very contained. It knows what it is. It knows what it wants to accomplish. That is a rarity, something that I, you know, I really love <laughs> in a show. Um, and I, you know, it's just, I said at the outset, it's very genuine. Um, and I think that's such a huge part of it. It's very organic to how these kids would, uh, would interact in 1983. It's it, what they would do, the, the settings, the way they would, uh, they would behave both with the parents and with themselves, they talk like kids from 1983. I man, it's to me, it's kind of it's kind of perfect. And I, this is probably <laughs> it's hard the, to argue that it's like this is probably the best TV show of the year for me. So I mean, yeah, I would never would have thought that you know that some in this day and age when we people like us that you know watch stupid movie rumor movie and TV rumor websites all the time and you know I am on Twitter literally every minute of every day it seems like um it's so so rare for a show or a movie to come from nowhere and and hit us like this and surprise us and it was so much fun to to be able to take part in that and to see it take off culturally and just be so incredibly relevant um you know we don't get a lot of uh we don't get a lot of water cooler tv anymore right like this is <laughs> yeah and this is it like this is it's like once maybe twice a year if we're lucky the lo- game of thrones kind of has that going for it but again it's i don't think game of thrones is as wide reaching as people maybe think That's or maybe it's think just it my is. circle like on know. twitter all the time yeah yeah like i think maybe breaking bad was the last time that a show that that last season of breaking bad it legitimately felt like every single person that i know was either binging to get ready for it or had some theory about what was going to happen. And, and, um, that was, that's this. And that was, when was that? 2013 or 
four. I don't it remember. Was Thirteen. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it's been a few years to me, at least in my circle, since we've had this kind of uh, pop cultural relevancy with a, with a TV show. And I miss that. I like that sort of stuff that we're, we're sort of losing as yeah. we get 900 million TV shows a year. It's good. Love it. Love it. Stranger things, double A's can't, can't recommend it enough. If you're still with us, and you <laughs> yeah. haven't seen it. I'm sorry. What, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have, you have no control over yourself. You need to reconsider <laughs> priorities and, um, just, your your lifestyle, <laughs> your overall lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's been good. It's but we talked over an hour about Stranger Things, which is always good. I could talk for two more. But uh, where can we find you online, Brian? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Kent, where can I find you? There's no recommends this week, Brian. Uh, I do want to say uh, my recommend and yours is Stranger Things. Uh, yes. So just take it in, guys. Drink it in, man. As Jericho would say, uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Kent Garrison and find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. You can find Richard online at Richard Barden, and he contributes on the Mad About Movies newsletter as well, which goes out once a month. There's just some fun little quips and articles written by yours truly. And uh, until next week, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya Silence and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs>